Beloved congregation, what is the highest relationship on earth? We have many relationships, many of which are very meaningful. We have relatives, parents, children, brothers and sisters. We have relationships, people we relate to at work, in our employment, sometimes very closely, for many years in some cases. Sometimes people we rely on even in life and death situations. Think about police, military, firefighting. But the highest relationship on earth is not earthly. It's here on earth, but it's divine. It is to relate to our God and maker. To be in a saving relationship with him, his child. That's what we all need. Whatever our status is in this world, rich, poor, weak, strong, healthy, sick, educated, not educated, married, unmarried. All of us need to be bound to the Lord Jesus by saving faith. The great purpose of our lives is to know him. It's not to relate to others around us, although that's part of our purpose. The great purpose is to know him. It is to relate to God through the grace that is in Christ Jesus, his dear son. Because then your soul is secure for eternity and then you can live a life worth living and then you can die one day in peace. Without that, you don't have anything. Then you're not your own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. But this highest relationship between the Lord God and his people finds a beautiful reflection in one of our earthly relationships, marriage. Marriage, you will agree, is imperfect since our fall. It is marred. It is distorted in many ways. But it's nonetheless beautiful. Because it was God's design from the beginning. And for two or three sermons, I'd like to turn with you to the topic of husbands and wives. Maybe you're wondering why a sermon on marriage during a year of six weddings. Well, for one, our newly married couples need instruction, and they may appreciate hearing a sermon on marriage without the nerves and stress of their wedding day when, for the most part, you don't hear too much. But for two, those who have been married for some time and even for long, decades even, also need instruction. So let's turn to our text this morning, focusing especially on husbands for this morning, and then we'll finish this verse 33 in due time, Lord willing, where Paul says, uh, verse 33a, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. Husbands, love your wives. This is a theme this morning with God's help. Our text begins, nevertheless, or but... 
As a final concluding statement, after all that Paul has taken us through, let every one of you in particular. Notice how specific Paul is, how personal, how he singles out every one of you in particular that is a husband. You can't hide in the crowd. Paul isn't addressing husbands as a group. He's addressing you. You, in your situation, in your setting, in your family, with regard to your own wife. You and me. Every one of you in particular. It's very important that we let God's word shine the spotlight on us. Because so often we, in our human nature, we try to hide, don't we, in the crowd. We try to wriggle out from under God's direct instruction. We find reasons to excuse ourselves. Maybe you have unique challenges in your life or your family. Maybe your life circumstances are very unlike those of others. And maybe you think even that if your wife would only do her part, then then maybe you could take God's instructions for you and begin to work on it. But the Lord, and Paul here, doesn't qualify this statement. If you're a husband, this is for you. And this goes for both husbands and wives. It's very important that we resist the urge to think, I will do my part if my spouse would make an effort to do theirs. It always begins right here at home with yourself. It's not dependent on whether or not your spouse is doing their part. Let everyone of you in particular so love his wife. Paul gives husbands and wives a key word. The key word for the man, the husband, is to love his wife. What is the love of a husband? What is love? Well, if you would ask people on the street, you'd get many different answers. Some people think of love only as the physical act of loving. To them, love equals a physical connection to hold, to hug, to have. Others may widen that to think of a husband's love also as providing materially for his wife and, by extension, family, to support and provide for your loved ones. Others think of the love of a husband as protecting and sheltering his wife from others, from risks, from dangers, as her strong protector. Or we can think of love in terms of affections and and desires, of fondness, of, of an emotional bond. These things are all good and they're all part of God's role for husbands. But true love is more than a combination of those things. When Paul calls you husbands to love your wives, the, you, the word he uses for love is agape. It is the strongest word for love in the Greek language. There is a word in the Greek language for physical love, eros. There is a word in the Greek language for emotion, for fondness, philio. Think of the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. But this word agape, agapeo, 
is, is so strong because this is the, 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 the kind of love that finds its roots, its origin in God himself who is the height of the essence of love. That means some things. It means that we're to love not merely physically, not merely emotionally with fondness or affection, but we are to love in a God-like way. Agape love is unconditional love. There are no conditions. It's not tit for tat. It's not I do this, if you do that. It's loves regardless of the other. What the other does. Agape love cannot be revoked. It is given. It's never retracted. That's what God's love to sinners is like, isn't it? Child of God, where would you be without God's agape love for you? If God would add conditions, if God could revoke it, if God could change it, it'd be over. We would sin ourselves straight back where we came from, straight into hell. But God, agape love. It doesn't calculate, it doesn't estimate, it doesn't figure what kind of advantage will I get or what will this cost me. It doesn't ask, what will, will it be worth it? It's not a question of emotional economics. It gives itself liberally for the sake of the other. For God so loved the world that he gave liberally. His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Notice in that verse, God is the one who loves and he gives liberally for the other. For the sake of those sinners who were going lost forever so that they might not perish. In verse 25 of this chapter, which we read, Paul elaborates on this agape love for husbands. He says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Paul here instructs husbands with three simple words. Love your wives. And then he uses 55 words about what Christ did for his church to explain those three words. He's saying to know what love is, look at Jesus Christ. The way he loves his church is the way you, husband, must love. Agape love your wife. Well, how did Christ love his church? Let's work through it. First, he loved her unconditionally. Unconditionally. There's going to be six of these, six pieces to this. The first is unconditionally. The Lord Jesus Christ loved his church in spite of who she was. What is the church? In its origin, in its nature, the members of the church, the individuals, are fallen sinners. There was absolutely no reason for God to love her 
and every reason for God not to love her. He says in Ezekiel, I found thee lying polluted in thy blood. But none of those reasons stopped him from loving her anyways. He says in Isaiah, from the top of the head to the sole of the foot, it is nothing but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, an ugly mess of sin. But he loved her anyway. No conditions. Child of God, for you personally, there are many reasons why he should not love you. Yet he did. Yet he does. Here's manifested the love of God towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved the ungodly, the unlovable, even while we were yet enemies. Didn't stop him. There's your task, husbands. There's no merit here before you love. In fact, in spite of demerit, you still love when there's difficulties, when, you're, when your wife maybe even hurts you, when there's injustice, when you see deficiencies, when you might find reason in your natural self to criticize. Remember, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church unconditionally. In spite of her failures, in spite of her sin, In Colossians 3.19, Paul says something very similar. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Why does he say that? He says that because when things are unraveling and words or texts go back and forth and you're feeling miffed, it's easy, very easy to go bitter. Paul says, don't do it. Love your wife. Even then, one man writes that the opposite of love is not hate, He's writing in the context of marriage. The opposite of love is not hate, but indifference. You ever been there? When you're like, I don't care. I could care less because you're putting yourself first in bitterness. That's the opposite of this love God calls for. There are other conditions that are dangerous. Conditions we layer on, we add into, we inject into marriage. Another couple, they seem to have it all together and they seem to have it all going for them. And if you're going through a struggle, it's easy to start comparing. And you believe the lie that it's just not going to work or it's just not working. That's a condition you're layering into your marriage. Remove that condition. This is an unconditional love God calls for. Your duty is to love your wife, even as Christ also loved the church. That takes self-denial. It takes sacrifice, which is the second way Christ loves his church. Not only unconditionally, but also sacrificially. He gave himself for her as a sacrifice. Husband, that doesn't mean you have to die in her stead. It may mean that in certain circumstances, but even then, never for her soul. For only Christ can do that. But it does mean to sacrifice your own desires, your own preferences, your own wants in love for her. 
to put her needs before your needs. And I know your needs are very real, but she's first. To deny yourself for her sake is exactly what Jesus did. He sacrificed himself. Third, Jesus loved his church sanctifyingly. He gave himself, he loved her for this purpose, to sanctify her. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it, the church, with the washing of water by the word, and that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. What does the Lord God do? What does the Lord Jesus do to, in, and for his church? He sends his spirit and he sanctifies his people. He makes them holy, progressively holy. There are ups and downs, there are falls, there are liftings up again. But he, he works preparing them, fitting them for glory. He, 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 he expunges from them the guilt of sin. He saves, saves and delivers her from the power of sin. He cleanses her from the pollution of sin. He, he cleans her, her church all up, his church all up with the washing of water. We get a picture here of baptism, how the Lord, through that sacrament of baptism points to his cleansing by through the means of the word you see the presence of and the importance of the word of god where would we be without the word the spirit doesn't sanctify mystically on your forest walks he sanctifies through the word through the scripture when you're reading when you're hearing the preaching of the scripture, he's sharpening, he's, he's, he's exposing sin, he's, he's doing that in order to uproot and remove sin, washing his people by the word. And he's not going to be satisfied until in the end she's perfect. His great desire for his bride is that she should be perfect. Notice, without wrinkle. Lloyd-Jones, he, he talks in his commentary on Ephesians about this, this, this youthful, perfectly wrinkle-free bride for Christ. Your task, husbands, is to build up your wife to sanctification. To wash her daily with the water of the word. That means to spend time with her in the word, discussing the word. Maybe someone says, well, that feels forced. Well, don't force it, just do it. It won't feel forced after a very short time. If you're not in the habit right now, it might feel awkward, but do it. You're called to it. Use a good study guide to work through with her. Read a page. Think about it together. Pray together. Try to do it every day. Not at, not at the expense of your own personal Bible reading. But both. 
That you're calling to promote the spiritual good of her soul, to be an influence for her spiritual good so that you can present her, as it were, on the last day to the Lord as a part of his glorious church. Husbands, is that your aim, your purpose for your dear wife? Or is your aim to help her stay as healthy as she can be or as attractive as she can be? Is your primary focus her body image, her outward appearance? Are you focused on how talented or how useful she can be? What about helping her to be as holy as she can be? And then we tremble to think that our example is so important, husbands. But it is. Your words, your attitude, your priorities, your sins have an effect on her. May the Lord help husbands to love their wives unto sanctification. Third, the Lord Jesus loves his church unitingly or unitedly in the sense that he's, he's one with his church. He's not aloof from her. He's not different and apart He is in the sense that his physical body is in heaven. But there is this union with Christ, this union with his church. In verse 28, Paul says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. And he goes on to speak of how it's so incongruous for a man to hate his own flesh, but he cares for his own. So does the Lord, the church, and so are you to do for your wife. And he appeals to Genesis 2, the creation story. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they two shall be one flesh. Just as in verse 30, the church is a member of Christ's body, of his flesh and of his bones. Husbands, what is your view of your wife? Who is she? Is she the daughter of your in-laws? Well, she is, isn't she? But she's more than that. She's not some other person. She's not the one you live with. She's not even your partner as such. She is your own flesh. Husband, your wife came out of you, not genetically, but originally in the creation account. Eve, remember, in a wondrous way, was formed from Adam's Rib. The picture there of the oneness, even in marriage. The Lord Jesus has that same union with his church. Spiritually, we are bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. And here's that picture reflected now in marriage. Bone Of my bone, Adam says, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so loving your wife as your own body means that just as you are totally committed to the well-being of your own body, so you must be for your wife. Because she is your body in the sense that she's part of yourself. Husbands, your wife is part of you, taken from you in that sense, and let that govern all your actions, words, and thoughts. And remember that you're not in isolation from her. 
A husband who truly loves his wife never thinks of himself in isolation from her. There are many times we do it, we fail. But true love remembers this this oneness. If you trace the breakdowns in marriage to their roots, it's right here where you end up. Whenever a husband is at fault, it began right here. That man thought of himself in isolation from his wife, and one thing led to the other. Visible separation in a marriage always begins with an invisible mental separation. And again, really every husband is guilty of this to some degree. But by the grace of God, we remain what we are in marriage. Every husband needs to be instructed. Your wife is a part of you. Just as you can't detach yourself from your own flesh, you can't detach yourself from your wife. And this is why abuse is so awful. There's many reasons why it's awful. And it's certainly awful when it's against anyone, but it's so doubly awful against a wife for this reason, this, this, this unitedness. When there's physical or verbal or emotional abuse, that man is acting most irrationally. He's actually abusing himself in the process. It is akin to breaking your own ribs. It is the deepest, most tragic form of self-harm. It strikes the deepest spiritually because it defaces that beautiful picture of Christ and His bride. So let us seek grace to love husbands or wives unitingly. Next, Christ loves His church caringly. He never neglects her needs. He, he cares for her. He, he nourishes and, and cherishes that church, verse 29. You get this, this sense of, of care, of, 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 of this, this love and, and never neglecting her needs. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Think of the ways in which this, this, the gospel stories are full of, of the Lord's compassion for those who were suffering. Those who were lost and broken, fallen sons and daughters of Adam. His compassion, his, his, his heart of, of shepherdly, shepherdly care overflows towards them. Husbands, do you love your wife caringly? Or do you just walk in the door, sit down, expect to be served, go to bed, out the door in the morning, back late the next night, then a meeting, then another outing, then a sale, then a this, without stopping to consider her needs. She's got children around her, her mind is filled with schooling needs, there's laundry in the hamper, dishes piled high, diapers need to be changed. Where are you? Are you absent? Are you neglecting her needs? Or do you roll up your sleeves and pitch in? So that she can spend a few minutes to herself, to read, to exercise, to rest. Do you spend time together to talk with her? To share what happened that day? I, there was some statistic I read at some point about if a husband and a wife spend only so many minutes a day, maybe it was five minutes, just talking to catch up. It does wonders for a marriage. It shows care. Did you sit down and plan with your wife? Dream with your wife? 
Do you watch her to make sure she's not running herself into the ground? This motherly instinct in, in, in wives is, is wonderful, but it can lead to forgetting themselves and burning out. Do you ensure her spiritual well-being in the busyness of life? Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it this way. He puts it well. A home is not a dormitory where a man returns to sleep. And I know you're busy, husband, but seek wisdom from God to know how to divide up your time so you can spend some time with her. And maybe you say, well, I'm having such a bad time at work right now. I'm all stressed out myself. There's so many responsibilities. I, I don't know how I can keep all these balls in the air. I don't have mental space right now for even to spend a lot of time with her in the middle of the week. Lloyd-Jones, again, he says, whether we feel like it or not, we must talk. The wife needs exercise in this sense. Tell her about your business, about your worries. She's your body. She's a part of you, he says. So allow her to speak into it. Consult her. Let her bring her understanding of the situation to bear. It will help you. Make yourself talk. Some husbands need to hear that. What Lloyd-Jones there means is, is, though you're tired, force yourself to think through and to, so that you can talk, to, to bring material for conversation, whatever it may be, to the fore. Bring her into everything. And the whole marriage, he says, will grow and develop as you do so. And again, especially for some of us, this is, this is reason for repentance. But it's how we love your wife caringly. Caring companionship, together sharing everything, and showing care and interest in the other's thoughts, needs, and inputs. And then finally, the Lord loves his church protectingly. The Lord protects his church. He averts all evil or turns it to our prophet. Our catechism says he governs as a king. And while you don't have God's power in that sense, you may exercise the same protecting care, husband, as you are able. Your dear wife may be prone to worry or anxiety. She may be prone to depression or she may have special characteristics about her in particular that make her vulnerable in certain situations. Maybe crowds clam her up. Or social pressures to, to perform in certain contexts. Or maybe loud noises bother her. Or she's got a real fear of heights or elevators or whatever the case may be. How do you respond to them? Do you get irritated? Do you get kind of annoyed because it really keeps you back from doing the things you want to do? Do you dismiss her needs as not important? Think of it this way. Paul is saying, if... If that was your body, what would you do? Do the same for your wife. Protect her, guard her, because remember, she's part of who you are. Do what you can to minimize her exposure to the things that trouble her. That's love. Even as the Lord, the church, who protects his bride as the apple of his eye. There was Stephen, the men were lifting up stones to throw them at Stephen, who's part of the bride of Christ. And there he saw the Son of God standing on the right hand of power. Why is he standing? 
Isn't he seated at the right hand? He's standing because he cares. Because he's there to protect and even to receive Stephen to glory. Well, husband, is this how you view your wife? What a lofty calling this is. Maybe as you hear all of this, you see clearly how you have not loved your wife as you ought to have. You rather think, as the world does, more easily of only you. But God says to husbands, it's not about you, it's about her. You recognize that the world has been tugging and and pulling strongly, calling you and urging you to indulge in all kinds of sin, also sin against marriage, to give yourself your emotions, your desires, your thoughts, even to a strange woman. It says, enter through this door. Come in through this internet connection. What an ugly, what an untold damage is done by the world of pornography. It deals, as it were, a stab to the heart of the most beautiful instruction that God, institution that God has established, that of husband and wife. There's a picture of Christ and His church and those of you who aren't married or those of you who are have a significant other but aren't married. Just because you're not married doesn't change that. How much damage you do already if you look at those things even before marriage. You must seek God's help for deliverance and seek out those in your life who you know will help you even though it will humble you but how good it will be in the end if you're struggling with that. So that every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. Let love pervade all that you're to do, husband, and let it sweeten everything about you. Psalm 133 speaks of the unity of the brethren in the church and the Lord commanding his blessing there. The same is true when a husband and a wife live together in this way. When husbands love their wives, the Lord will command the blessing there. And that's not just a coincidence. That's how God has designed it, and that is God's promise. Some of us have heard the forum for marriage a good number of times this summer. And again, Lord willing, on Thursday. And there it tells us that the Lord, God, has committed himself to help, bless, and assist married persons. Because marriage is God's idea. It is God's institution. It is God's treasure. And he has built in blessing and reward when we love our wives, even as ourselves. And it's reciprocal. There's a quote here from one author. An honest desire for the happiness of our partner will bring a surprising degree of happiness into our own lives. Well, as we close, husbands, recognize your need for the help of the Lord in this calling. And do three things as you leave today. One, confess. Confess your inability of yourself. You're not able of yourself. And confess your sins and failures before the Lord and repent of them. 
Turn from known sin as a husband and flee for forgiveness full and free to the Lord Jesus. Because there is pardon for the worst husband. Yes, congregation, there is pardon for the worst sinner. Here the gospel opens up. Pardon is available for every sinner of every kind here this morning. The Lord loves His church and people with an everlasting love. And the gospel call is still that way this morning. You who are living without this highest relationship on earth. This relationship to God. Through Jesus Christ. Which is only reflected in marriage. The gospel call to you is, Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth so that the Lord Jesus Christ can love you. Whatever your status in this world, unconditionally, sacrificially, sanctifyingly, unitedly, caringly, and protectingly, yes, savingly and eternally. Look unto me and be ye saved of the ends of the earth. Repent and believe on the name of this Savior. So first, husbands, confess. Second, ask God for grace to love your wife this way, even as your own body, and he will give you grace to do it. Third, humbly resolve by that grace to seek the husband as the Lord calls you to. Even if she's not doing her duty, I say that again because it's so easy to, it's got nothing to do with it. Let there be unconditional love, sacrificial love, sanctifying love, uniting love, caring love, and protecting love that loves her even as your own body, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Amen. Gracious, good-doing God in heaven, we give thee thanks for thy word and for the instruction that came to us here this morning through this passage. We pray, O Lord, that that would help, especially husbands, as we have heard this instruction. Give, we pray, forgiveness, give grace and enabling and ability to carry out our duties to the glory of thy name for the good of our wives. We pray, Lord, for every one of us that we may know ourselves to be recipients of this agape love from the Lord himself, that thou would come with thy spirit and rekindle and refresh and revive that love where it has grown cold. And that, Lord, thou would remove the mountains of separation that may have come in spiritually between our souls and thee. And that, Lord, there would be days of a refreshing of the Lord that thou would be as the dew unto us, but also for those, Lord, who have never tasted of thy goodness. O Lord, reveal thyself to them. Break down their natural resistance. Cause them to flee to thee for salvation and to come, yes, even to fall into the arms of this love, this God of love. O Lord, we pray, save souls even today and deliver us in every from every sin. We pray thee to dismiss us with thy blessing and bring us together again tonight, we pray, in health and strength. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.